where I ask your potential therapist questions so you don't have to. I am your host, Noah S. Garcia, Licensed Professional Counselor Supervisor. Today I welcome to the show Creer Colbertson, Licensed Clinical Social Worker, who will be discussing her practice and area of specialty, mindfulness. Welcome to the show, Greer. Thanks for having me, Noah. Happy to be here. It's so good to see you and talk to you. It's been wonderful. And for everybody who doesn't know, Greer is the one who wrote and uh, performs along with her, um, her friend Landon Law. Is that right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, um, intro song to this podcast. So I am really excited that she is back on the show. And um, yeah. It's so cool having my own theme music. It, did you say it's so cool to have your own theme music? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I like... it was you, you, you partially wrote it too. It was like <laughs> your direction that I wrote it. So. <laughs> we, we did this together. I feel, I feel like Peter Griffin on that episode of Family Guy where he gets his own theme music and there's this like guy that walks behind him playing a tuba. It's really funny. Um, anyway, back to you. So tell us, what are your credentials and experience? Um, so I am an LCSW, um, <clears throat> and I have, let's see, about four and a half, five-ish years of being a therapist. Um, before that, I was working um, I guess before the psych hospitals, before private practice, um, worked in medical hospitals for a little bit. Um, the first job I ever had coming out of social work school was the American Cancer Society. Kind of dabbled here and there. But yeah, being, I've been a therapist for, I would say, roughly four, uh, five years. Awesome. And is your practice, is it your name or is it something else? It's GC Mental Wellness, LLC. GC Mental Wellness, LLC. All right. 
and your website. Oh, what is my website? GreerLCSW.com. Cool. So in your practice, do you accept insurance? If so, which ones? If not, why not? I accept Blue Cross Blue Shield, PPO, Medicare, and Ambetter. Cool. Do you have a sliding scale? I do. Yeah. Can you give us an idea of what that looks like? It totally depends. Um, so my rate is 150, um, but I, it kind of depends on, you know, what people's life situations are. Um, if folks have gotten off of insurance and still want to see me um, and can't afford that rate, there's, you know, it's kind of a matter of what other people can afford within reason. Um, I like to have that mm -hmm. conversation with everyone individually to make sure that it's fair and makes sense and feels comfortable for them. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, it kind of, it, it differs. Everybody's different. Yeah, everybody has different needs. Mm -hmm. What about weekend or evening appointments? Not at the moment mainly doing Monday through Thursday with the occasional Friday here and there. Good for you. Now, is being a therapist your first career? If not, what was? Career, yes. Job, no. Um, yeah, I kind of had a bunch of like random jobs here and there before starting social work school a couple of years after graduating college and um, then, like I said, once I graduated from grad school, a few years later, I kind of dabbled for a few years, traveled a little bit, wandered, flailed about, and then <laughs> about five years ago. And then that was it. Do you have a, yeah. Do you have a favorite job that you had in the past before therapist times? Uh, I loved being a barista loved it um just I, it was the it was the server job that I could actually do so being a server was the probably the worst job I've ever had definitely definitely fun but pretty stressful because I had a really hard time remembering what everybody ordered yes that 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 is the worst and I'm pretty clumsy so I spilled quite a few drinks on people <laughs> but when you're a barista you're behind the bar and so it's pretty True. hard to spill things on people and you have your regulars and people come in and they're your friend and they tell you about their morning and you know you're sort of a therapist in a way um listening to people get into the deep stuff, asking people about their lives, having meaningful conversations. So that's cool. That was a good time. What ultimately drew you to being a therapist? You know, it's the only thing that's ever really made sense. Um, that's felt right. It's felt like the thing. Um, I grew up with a mother who was a therapist and mm -hmm. I tried Yes, I tried 
you know, to convince myself that maybe there was another path for me, that I was completely unique and original. But alas, when I fell into it, it proved otherwise. Um, yeah, I grew up just, I grew up talking about feelings and having deep cuts. And that's just kind of the way I roll. It's the way that I am energized and fulfilled and just kind of connecting with people. It's, that's where it's at. Cool. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself, like hobbies, interests, TV shows, music, et cetera, et cetera. I love being outside. I do a lot of rock climbing, um, a big runner, um, camping, traveling, outdoorsy things where I don't have to wear my shoes are always nice. <laughs> on, the, on the ground beneath my toes. Um, do a lot of yoga i also write music um i guess if we as we've sort of established at the beginning of this session or this um session uh, <laughs> <laughs> do a lot of sessions um that's what most meeting so, people are their sessions exactly exactly yeah so this is a session technically yeah Okay. Okay. Everything. Okay. We're fine then. Um, <laughs> yes. Writing music, um, play, play guitar, um, play piano. And I, I sing and write music for, or with friends and for a little, a little band situation. So um, what about TV? Do you watch any TV? Are you a TV type of person? I'm not. And that is not something. Did you say me neither? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not something I'm really proud of. I I get a lot of FOMO when I hear people talking about TV shows that they love. Um, and the few times where I've gotten really involved in a series, it it's great. You know, everybody, you know, you can talk to other people about it. You can be part of something. You can kind of get in the flow state around it. Um, but I don't allow myself to sit down and watch series. And that is something I wish I were better at. I, I, I'm kind of the opposite. I don't really have a lot of interest in series i don't have a lot of interest in fiction period i tend toward if i watch something it's like a matter of like habit and comfort like unsolved mysteries forensic files those sorts of things not because i'm actually watching it when i'm watching it Mm -hmm. just kind of like background noise yeah it's comfortable familiar but yeah, no, I can totally relate to the FOMO and like wishing I could get into something. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of reading. I do a lot of myself. That's about. good. That's kind of where I, where I stop. And I allow myself to stop. That's what I'm doing. Very cool. Um, so what modalities do you draw upon in addition to mindfulness? So... CBT and DBT are kind of the other two biggies that I say that I draw from, although there's there's a lot of overlap between all the things. DBT is, has a lot of mindfulness. Mindfulness is a huge component of dialectical behavior therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, Those are kind of the three that CBT, DBT and mindfulness, I kind of say are the biggest ones that that I draw from when you have to explain what it is that you do, even though so much of it is intuitive and unique to every session and every 
and contextual. Yeah. Yeah, I hate I hated questions when I was looking for jobs, especially after becoming a like an LPC. What are they called? Associates now. Um, you know, getting asked, "What would you do in this situation?" And I'm like, "I can't tell you what I would do in that situation because I'm not in that situation." Like, you know, it's going to depend on the person, individual factors that I have no way of knowing through you know, the context that you provided. Um, it's going to be, you know, attributed to so much that I don't think those questions are fair. Mm-hmm. I mean, unless I it's like a question like so-and-so is telling you they have the plan, means, and intent to kill themselves, like, what do you do? I mean, you know, it's obvious in those situations, but in other situations, it's much more ambiguous without the actual context of the situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how, I, that's how I felt about the LCSW test. Every yeah. single question, it could have been a different order of things, kind of depending on just the feel of the situation. So much about therapy is intuitive, kind of feeling mm-hmm. it out. It's so hard to explain on a kind of objective level what it is that you're doing and why you're doing it. It is. Um. So tell us, what is mindfulness and where does it originate from? So the the basic definition of mindfulness is awareness, um, paying attention to the present moment on purpose, um, non-judgmentally with kindness. And it originates from, I think, you know, a lot of, religion, religious and like secular traditions from the Eastern parts of the world, Hinduism, Buddhism, yoga. Um, mm-hmm. I think, I mean, also other types of religions too. There's, there's mindfulness components in Islam and Christianity and all of that. Um, but most recently, John Kabat-Zinn was kind of, is kind of one of the biggest names in mindfulness He's sort of the one who brought mindfulness from the East to the West, um, founded MBSR, Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction, um, has a lot of influence, um, was influenced by and kind of, um, you hear his name often with Thich Nhat Hanh um, and Jack Kornfield and folks like that. Cool. So what is mindfulness not? Mindfulness is not inherently religious. Um, Religions use it in, you know, a lot of ways. It's it's used in, in religions and it's used in, you know, secular situations as well. It's not something that requires a belief in God or any other kind of, you know, belief system sort of a way of it's a way of being it's paying attention um it's also not synonymous with meditation Um, Mm -hmm. meditation is a practice where you can cultivate the skill of mindfulness um but it's not like you have to sit down and meditate for half an hour an hour every day in order to be practicing mindfulness it can be 
practice doing anything all day long, walking around, washing the dishes, being, can, you can sit there for 30 seconds and take a deep breath and be mindful about what you're thinking and doing. And that's, that's mindfulness too. Um, so much, I mean, I, so much of therapy is mindfulness, taking a step mm-hmm. back and just kind of paying attention to what you're doing, what you're thinking, where it's popping up. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like there's a lot of intention behind it. Absolutely. That's, I'd say another good word to fit into the description, being intentional. So how, how exactly does mindfulness work? And like, what are the benefits of it? So mindfulness is taking that step back. Um, when we give ourselves a moment between the stimulus, the trigger, the thing that kind of leads us to be reactive and the response, what we're going to do, how we're going to behave from there. There's this space in between for a pause. Some call it postponement, whatever you want to call it, Mm -hmm. where we get to take a step back and really look at what's happening and decide what we want to do. Um, It allows us to give, to connect our frontal cortex to kind of the animal brain. It activates, accesses the frontal cortex, the wiser part of our brain, um, and kind of quiets down that animal brain. That's the one that wants to be reactive in situations. Um, and then we get to kind of make mindful, skills, skillful um, decisions based on the resources that we have in our, you know, the more frontal wiser, more intelligent parts of our brain, mm-hmm. um, respond versus react, respond instead mm-hmm. of react. So it can um, be a means of impulse control. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Cool. Impulse control, decrease in stress. Yeah. Compassion, increase compassion for yourselves and for others. Increased immune system activity. That's cool. Regulation of emotions. I can go on for days. (laughs) So what are the three qualities of mindfulness? Is this, is this a, are there actually three qualities that you're, that you're thinking of? Or are you just having Like of of three qualities. Yeah. Three three qualities. Okay. Let me rephrase that. What are three qualities of mindfulness? Okay. I got that. Patience. Wait, that's something that it cultivates. Is that what you're asking? Like, what are the things that can can be cultivated by mindfulness? I guess what are components of mindfulness that make it up as like a whole? Like, what are the different pieces that somebody would need to understand in order to, like, put mindfulness into practice? Um, are you talking in terms of, like, awareness? Um, and kind of, like, how, like, attention to the present moment, like, how to observe like, mm-hmm. what it is that you're thinking and feeling, that sort of thing? Yeah, yeah those things. (laughs) Um, 
added yeah an attitude that's non-judgmental curious curious and kind um which is often a really challenging thing for people to do to be able to look at themselves and their behaviors and their thoughts with an air of kindness um so so often a way to like kind of introduce that skill or help people you know use that skill is to think in terms of how they would think about or how they would act towards speak to um the people that they love like small children or you know a grandmother or a beloved pet just anyone that someone would really care about and being able to kind of take that attitude and that feeling of love and putting that back taking that back and turning it toward themselves so uh, you would say like attention, attitude, and like non-judgmental observation. Yeah. Would be three important right. concepts. Yeah. Cool. What does mindfulness feel like? I think mindfulness can feel like so many different things depending on who you are. Um, Mindfulness can sometimes feel really uncomfortable. I mean, you're mm -hmm. taking a step back and really looking at what is, and that's something that so many of us ignore and avoid at times when things are hard or scary. Um, once you've done it a lot, um, there are people who you know talk about the equanimity of it, kind of being able to feel all things at the same time and kind of rest in that space. Um, and I, my, in my own experience, I kind of, when I'm able to fully kind of sit back and look at it all and kind of be separate from it, there's sometimes a slight, like, kind of feel like a slight energy about you or like a, mm -hmm. an ever so slight uh, tingling um, when I'm able to kind of just sit with my whole body and, and look at what it is to be sitting with my whole body at the same time. And that doesn't always happen. A lot of the times when I try to sit with mindfulness, it's stressful and it's scary, it's frightening, um, but it can also be very peaceful in times when I do feel like I'm able to kind of take a deep breath in it and relax into it. So I think it's different depending on everyone. Yeah, that sounds, sounds accurate. That sounds like close to my experience too, that kind of tingliness. Um, yeah. It can be difficult to achieve, and I think that's why it's called like a practice, you know. Yeah, and I think that's that's also something I I try to stay away from is talking about how it's something to achieve, how it how it's something that it's a goal that we need to reach. It's just taking it's just a practice of stepping back, and sometimes that's really hard to do, and sometimes it really sucks, and sometimes it's really informative and really peaceful. But the fact that you did it means that you're doing it. You don't mm -hmm. have to get anywhere to be good at it. Mm -hmm. I like that. So I know a lot of people have the question, what is the difference between mindfulness and meditation? And what about a mindfulness meditation versus a regular meditation? So I think mindfulness is a quality of mind and meditation is 
more of a focused, intentional, like practice um, where you can use mindfulness, but that's not the only thing that you would necessarily use in meditation. Whereas with mindfulness, you don't have to necessarily be meditating, kind of like what I talked about earlier, where you, mm-hmm. Thich Nhat Hanh talks a lot about, um, you know, washing the dishes while being mindful, mindful eating, just kind of being aware of whatever you're doing, these basic things that we have to do all day, every day. Um, and so meditation, yeah, meditation is a way in which to improve our ability to be mindful or improve our ability to remember to be mindful. Um, among other things, there's so many different types of meditation to, you know, help increase concentration, which can also go hand in hand with mindfulness. Mm -hmm. Um, but they're two separate things. Whereas mindfulness is more of a relaxed, maybe gentle kind of way of just observing and being aware rather than focusing your attention on something and striving towards something. Mm -hmm. Got it. So you talked about this a little bit earlier. Uh, But just to kind of recap, what are the benefits of regularly practicing mindfulness? Yeah, I mean, I talked about kind of the way that it can, the response in our body, um, decrease in stress, um, you know, increasing the functioning of our body, increasing memory, um, all these different things that there have been studies on that shown that it really is helpful. Um, one of the big things that I'm interested in and, you know, especially when doing therapy is how it brings attention to the stories that we're telling ourselves, um, about ourselves when we are reactive. So often we are unaware that we're being reactive and in turn are unaware of how we are then blaming others, um, and, or ourselves usually they go hand in hand um, for things that are happening to us and that turns into the stories that we're telling ourselves about ourselves and others Um, which often goes into kind of the negative core beliefs of I'm not good enough or you know all these terrible things that we tell ourselves and when we're doing those things without realizing that we're doing them it can be so harmful um So taking that step back and just kind of drawing a little bit of attention to it, even for a few seconds can often be so, you know, informative and liberating. We realize, okay, this is a story I'm telling myself and I actually have the power to change it um, and to alter it. It takes the stepping back and really looking at what we're doing to perpetuate these thoughts and yeah, reminds us we have the power and freedom to alter that and shift it and feel better. Yeah. I like that. The power and freedom. Yeah. Those are both really good, strong words. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we know it can be helpful, but why should we do it? Why would you not, Noah? (laughs) Well, I mean, Um. like... Like thinking about it, say I'm just going about my day and um, I'm going to the grocery store. Why, when I'm in that grocery store, should I practice mindfulness while I'm there? Mm. 
Um, I think it, you know, it always goes back to kind of the reactivity, kind of the animal brain, kind of feeling irritated and restless and what we do when we're uncomfortable. Um, when we're standing in line at the grocery store, I always think of that video, um, David Foster Wallace, the, the one that the graduation video, have you ever seen it? I don't think I have, no. It's called This Is Water. Oh, it is profound. You gotta see it. Um, I'm gonna look it up. So, <clears throat> try to think if I can explain it. Basically, that the concept is I there's a fish swimming around in water all day, every day of its life, and another fish comes up to it, um, and is like some something along the lines of the water's great, other fish. And, or like, you know, it's a great day to be in the water, something like that. And the fish just looks at the other fish and is like, uh, what's water? <laughs> <laughs> so the idea is we don't notice what we're doing or what we're thinking, or we don't take, we don't take a step back to exist where we're existing and do what we're doing. We're always in the past. We're always in the future. We're always trying to figure something out. We're always creating a story that. Trying to predict something. Mm-hmm. Is what a lot of people do. And that creates, can create so many different issues. Absolutely. Yeah. Trying to use that to control kind of everything. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, something I try to work a lot with folks on is what what would it be like to kind of let go of that control and and trying to frame that as a form of control. Mm-hmm. Like my my control is stepping back and looking at it. It's releasing control, but also it's a choice that I'm making. Right. And once we can do that, there's so much relief to it. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, in that that video, I think it's like seven or seven minutes 11 minutes i don't know my memory fails me but um it shows you know people standing in the line at a grocery store and talks about you know he's talking to a bunch of people or a bunch of about to be graduates of college and talking to them about what adult life is like and he's like it's it's boring and it's hard and it's stressful And, you know, there's all this discomfort that's coming up. And if we're standing in line, you know, like tapping our foot and like, uh, you know, shaking our head and we're, we're suffering because we're just reacting Mm -hmm. and we're thinking about what we need to do. And we're mad at our boss and all of these things. And if we can just stop and be present and look around at what we see around us and, you know, there's if you look at the cashier and you don't realize that that cashier has had, you know, a terrible trauma that day, something happened, someone was in a car accident or someone died. Um, And if you can kind of just sit there and look around and really like be present, then you can allow that to kind of go into other people and empathize with others and people feel your Mm -hmm. energy, the way that we're looking at ourselves and being present with ourselves has so much to do with, the way we relate to others. People feel that, people see that, we're mirrors. So <clears throat> it's a really good video. Um, okay, back to the question. What was the question? 
the question was why should we regularly practice mindfulness like so like if i'm at a grocery store like why practice mindfulness you know yeah just to i think you answered that in that it's like a, a choice between it can be a choice between distress or not in some mm -hmm. ways yes that brings me to one of my favorite lines that has helped me personally in so many ways and I use so often with my clients that pain is inevitable and suffering is optional. Life is hard. Life is challenging. It's okay. full of so much stress and we can choose to suffer with it more or we can take a step back, be mindful, you know, and be with it, give it, you know, give it the attention that it needs, honor it mm -hmm. instead of perpetuating in unnecessary ways. And obviously all of that is much easier said than done, but it's something I try to live by. I think it's helpful. Oh. Yeah, for sure. Um, so what would you say to somebody who feels like their mind is too restless and they wouldn't be any good at mindfulness? I would say nonsense. Nobody is any good at mindfulness. <laughs> Um, no. <laughs> no, mindfulness. I mean, yes, I probably would say something to that effect, but um, obviously very kindly. Um, obviously. Yeah, mindfulness is hard. It's not something, I don't know, I think there are people who can maybe be good at it, um, better at it than others in some ways. Like it's easier to, for some people to calm their minds. It's easier for some people to settle down and get into more of a place of peace. But like I said earlier, it's not a destination. It's not a goal. The fact that you did it is, you, you did it. That's it. You did it. That's mindfulness. I can sit here for 20 minutes and have my mind want, try to be mindful and have my, my mind wander for 20 straight minutes and have my alarm go off after 20 minutes and not have really focused on anything or noticed anything. The trying of it, the, do, the going through the process and the attempt to pay attention to what is happening in the moment. All I come to at the end of 20 minutes is, wow, my mind is restless. I did the thing. It's just kind of noticing the state of things. And if things are overwhelming and things are feeling all over the place, then now I know that because I sat back and looked at it and it was all over the place. Awesome. Doesn't that sound fun? It does sound fun. I'd love to see things all over the place. <laughs> Um, how, how did you personally discover mindfulness and why do you think it's an important skill to teach in therapy? Um, <clears throat> yeah, I was thinking about this. I, I can't remember when I first heard about it, um, and what I thought about it then, but as far as I remember now, it has always been such an exciting word for me, such an exciting concept for me. Um, partially because it's so, it's so like, I feel like foreign to what my brain wants to do, which I, I'm not unique in that at all. Right. Like I have, I have such a monkey mind and I know that a lot of us do. Um, and the idea that there's something that I can do to 
to kind of bring ease and calm and lower stress and make me feel kind of okay about all of the chaos that is in my mind is such a relief and so exciting. Um, and so, yeah, I think part of the reason I'm so interested in it is because it is so, it is such a challenge for me. Um, it's not something that I feel, feel like comes naturally to me. Um, I love that. Yeah. I, I love that you're very like open with that and vulnerable in that. Um, because I think that, you know, that is what attracts a lot of us about a, a lot of different things in therapy, right? Is, you know, man, this was really hard for me, but look at all the good that can come from it. Mm hmm. Yeah really sitting with it and noticing it and, and going as, you know, feeling it as far as it needs to be felt is the way ultimately to freedom. You feel it and you feel yeah. it and you feel it and you do it and you, you go through it and then it subsides. It finally, mm -hmm. you know, if you watch it for long enough, you can see it kind of float away like leaves in a stream or clouds in the sky. Leaves in the stream. There's actually a stream that uh, Daddy and I, when we go for our walks, we pass over every time. And every time I stop and we look down and look at all the fishies. And, you know, it's sometimes I just watch the algae or the leaves, you know, go from one side of the bridge to the other and get sucked underneath. And I'd like to think that in those mm -hmm. moments, I'm practicing mindfulness. You are. Yeah. Being with the dog, it really helps. Oh, dogs, you have to be mindful to be with a dog. Mm-hmm. I mean, how can yeah. you not when they lick your face? <laughs> how can you not? And they're, they're doing it. They're living in the present. All the time. Always. Even this morning, my, my sister came outside and told me that she was grateful to her puppy for helping her see every single thing in her room that she never thought about or noticed. <laughs> you know, went around and sniffed this random little thing in the corner that she didn't know was there, you know, went over and really looked at, I don't know, like a piece of dirt on the floor. And she, she learned so much about something, you know, water. She, she was, she finally was acknowledging some of the water quote unquote in her room that she's constantly, it's constantly surrounding her that she's not paying attention to because she's going from one thing to the next. She watched how her dog watched the things and it was, she was able to find that helpful and see it as mindfulness. Did you hear that, Patty? You <laughs> help with mindfulness. <laughs> she looks at me. <laughs> she's like, I don't care about these, these pe this people tomfoolery. No, she she obviously does not. All she cares about are W A L K I E S, I E S S, W A L K I E S S. Yes, that I can spell. <laughs> um, I have no idea what you're saying, what you're spelling, and so I think that's probably clear. <laughs> She's gonna learn to spell soon. I just have a feeling. Um, <laughs> So really, I know 
mindfulness can look different from person to person. Is there like a certain amount of time somebody should be practicing mindfulness a day, like, you know, intentionally setting that time aside or what, what, what does a practice of mindfulness typically look like? It's so different for everyone. Um, and yeah, it's, 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 yeah, it's hard to talk about when, I, when we're not talking about one specific person. Um, I feel like that's something that a person can, a person has to decide for themselves. And also like, as a therapist, I, you know, kind of know what a person's day to day looks like and can maybe offer suggestions on when to plug it in, like something stressful is about, you know, when stressful things might happen and what that might look like um, in terms of creating mindfulness practice in order to be more proactive with situations like that. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, there's, there's often that number, that magic number of 20 minutes that floats around. Um, people talk about 20 minutes of meditation a day being so valuable, but also five minutes in the morning, five minutes in the evening, you know, sometimes even one minute, like going, getting in an elevator. I mean, I don't know. We really don't do that lately, but like someday we'll be back in elevators, you get in an elevator and you take deep breaths the whole time you're in the elevator. That counts. Um, it's been helpful for me in the past to set an alarm on my phone for maybe two or three times a day that just says breathe. The alarm goes off. I take a couple of deep breaths and then I go back into the thing that I'm doing. That's been really useful for me in the past when I'm super busy. So, um, you know, I think I mentioned this earlier, MBSR, uh, mindfulness-based stress reduction, just the John Kabat-Zinn thing. There's a free, um, there's a whole free MBSR program online that's eight weeks long um, and has tons of great videos and uh, articles and various practices, mindfulness practices that you can do. And if you want to like go through the whole program, you can. Um, and I think it takes roughly 40-ish minutes a day to kind of do the things they suggest to do um, if you want to like get the certificate. But it's also kind of just a helpful resource space for kind of exploring various types of things um, and kind of seeing what resonates with you. If you don't want to do it in any particular kind of structured way, there's a lot of good um, evidence-based uh, options there. Cool. Are there any certain populations or issues that mindfulness, primarily such skills as body scans, would be contraindicated? Sorry, I'm turning on my lamp. Okay. Um, I think that certain ways of practicing mindfulness are probably not safe for everyone um, at certain times, especially people who are in a highly, yeah, very, very vulnerable situations kind of where they're living kind of chronic trauma. Um, or yeah, <clears throat> I think that, yeah, taking a step back and breathing can be really frightening for some people and dangerous in situations like that. Um, I think that in those moments in time or, you know, those longer periods of time where that is occurring, 
you know, talking to a therapist or someone who's informed and being in a safe space in order to explore these ideas, if the, that is something the person's interested in doing or is able to do, um, is really important. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, kind of high, high crisis, high stress times, there needs to be some sort of safety protocol around it or might not even be useful. I mean, there's some people who are, you know, report in high stress, it can make people more stressed and um, not work for you in that moment. But I think for people over the lifespan, there are times in your life where it's easier to do than others um, to learn. And I think that this skill, like anything else, is best learned when you're regulated when you're feeling okay, when you're in a safe space, so that when you are in the higher crisis moments, the knowledge of that or the, the impulse or the reminder to do that is more easily easily accessible. That so makes if sense. you're not in a place like that, where you practice it. I mean, our, when we're in fight or flight, we can't form memories. Mm-hmm. Right. Like we're, we're just trying to protect ourselves and stay safe. So in order to learn new skills, um, we have to be in a place where we do feel safe and where we do have space for that. Very good points. Very good points. Um, I've also read a lot and thought a lot about it. And like, for example, like for some trans people, body scans may not be an appropriate tool. Um, mm. You know, I know there's plenty of alternatives out there, but um, that's just something to keep in mind for people. Um, can you describe a few mindfulness strategies that our listeners could, you know, maybe try out? Absolutely. Awesome. <laughs> I'm <excited>. So <laughs> there's one that I um, borrowed from Tara Brock, who is a wonderful psychologist who's big into this stuff, big name in mindfulness. She uses um, the acronym RAIN. So this is ideally what you do or what you, you know, proactively learn how to do um, beforehand to be able to access in times when you need it between response and, or sorry, stimulus and response. Um, So first you recognize you're in whatever kind of state you're in, you're feeling whatever it is that you're feeling, you kind of notice whatever's going on, you recognize that that's happening. Um, You allow it to be there, you name it, and taking a step back from it, you name it rather than identifying with it. Um, so there's a slight separation between you and it. And then the A is allow. You let it be what it is. You let it kind of flow through you. You take deep breaths. You try to stay with it as long as you can. And then you investigate I. Um, connect with it. Uh, for me, that's kind of means usually I try to guide folks to, yeah, kind of pay attention to where it's coming up in their body, how it's coming up in their body. 
Is it hot? Is it cold? Is it heavy? Um, how can they describe it? And then also investigating what's going on in their mind around it too. What are the thoughts that are perpetuating it? What are the thoughts that are perpetuated by it? What's keeping it going? What might I be telling myself that is false or not helpful or irrational around it? And then the N, which is often the hardest part, nurturing yourself. What do you need to be nurtured in this space? Is it speaking to yourself kindly? Is it touching yourself in a kind way? I often put my hand on my heart. That feels like I'm connecting with myself and giving myself compassion. Um, for a lot of people, putting your hand on your neck it's kind of like a vulnerable part of yourself, like squeezing, maybe even giving yourself like a hug. Um, for a lot of people, you know, like rituals, um, religious rituals or some sort of, you know, whatever kind of coping skill that they have. Nurturing can mean so many things depending on the person. That's um, really cool. So that's I like one. that one a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I do too. You happen to have one more? Oh, there's so many. You know, yeah. I've been using Cybam a lot. Have you heard of Cybam? Mm-mm. Not familiar. It's okay. And I haven't been somatic experiencing trained, so I don't know much about, you know, I can't speak much to it, but I, I was taught this technique and I found it really useful. Um, it's you know, from somatic experiencing. Um, it's the acronym, the acronym stands for sensation, image, behavior, affect, and meaning. So I've, I've used this one quite a bit with I feel like, and I might, this might be a generalization, but from at this moment, it seems like I use RAIN more often with folks who are kind of dysregulated mm -hmm. um, and kind of need to come back. And I use Cybam more often with folks who are having a hard time accessing their feelings at all. Um, Interesting. For people Interesting. who can't, yeah, for people who, who are having a hard time feeling it or feeling it in the way they think they're supposed to feel it, right? Which oftentimes that kind of, that that brings up that allows us to just to talk about what it is that you think you need to be feeling and, and where does that come from why do you think you need to be feeling it in this way you're feeling it in the way that you're feeling in and can that be enough um and sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't um so yeah sensation what sensations am i feeling in my body that can very much be a way of feeling an emotion is just i'm feeling these sensations in my body i didn't i didn't previously think of them as connected to what it is that I'm feeling, but now that I'm looking at it in this way, I'm recognizing that they are a part of it. Um, I as image, what images are coming up in my mind as I'm thinking about this or I'm sitting with this. B, behaviors. What am I doing right now? What is this, what am I, what is this driving me to do? Am I wanting to avoid? Um, am I, am I wanting to cry? 
or my, but am I, but feeling like I can't, um, just kind of objective observation, curiosity around all of that. And then A, affect, feeling, emotion, if you can point to it. And with any of these, you might not be able to access one or two or three of them. It might just be, I might just be able to really point to, you know, an image that's coming up, but I'm not sure what the feeling is. And that's okay. It's part of it. Mm-hmm. And then M is meaning. What am I telling myself about it? What What are the irrational thoughts that are perpetuating it? Or what am I telling myself about the way that I'm experiencing this thing right now that I'm not doing it right? Um, so yeah, just kind of a way to, to really look at like a big picture experience of an emotion. I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks for the uh, new uh, techniques, Greer. <laughs> Anytime. I got so many up my sleeve. Yeah, it sounds like it. Um, so regarding mindfulness, what would you say are some common misconceptions about it? Common misconceptions around mindfulness. I think that it's supposed to like work. I'm using quotes work, work. here. And then I'm also using quotes with fail that I f- you can fail at it. Some people can do it that some people can't do it. I mean, I definitely think, you know, like as we were talking about earlier, some people shouldn't do it, at least in the space that they're in, um, in the feelings that they're having, in the space that they're in in their life and the trauma that they're dealing with it. Maybe maybe that's not the time for it, um, at least for learning it. I've done a lot of work with mindfulness and then you go through a traumatic event. It's different than if you haven't ever. It's not it when it's a new skill. Um, versus when it's one that you're really well versed in and that you found a lot of use for already. Um, that it's about, oh, that it's about stopping thinking as though that's possible. There are some people who claim that they can stop thinking. <laughs> I don't know if I believe those people. I don't think I've ever stopped thinking for more than like two seconds of my entire life. Um <laughs> Yeah, it's about taking a step back and noticing that you're thinking, noticing what the thoughts are thoughts are like. I do think it's possible after some time to slow things down. That's hard. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah. Um, that'll make all my problems go away. That it's just about <laughs> you know, all that fun stuff. I just wish positive thinking. Mm-hmm. Think positively, and you're being mindful. <laughs> I I don't I don't really like the whole idea of thinking positively. Like, why not just think reasonably, rationally? You know? Yeah. Like, why why do we have to think positively in order for something to be effective? I don't think that's true. Yeah, it's so it's un, it's unrealistic on kind of the other side of like there's right. the irrational negative thoughts and then there's the irrational positive thoughts. Right. It's not finding that kind of balanced gray area of the dialectical thing. Yeah. So switching gears to you as a therapist, what kind of experience do you have working with particularly vulnerable clients, such as those who are transgender, undocumented, or BIPOC, to name a few examples? 
have quite a bit of experience working with um, transgender folks as well as BIPOC. Um, yeah, not, not so much undocumented in the areas that I've worked, but um, yeah, kind of both in, yeah, like in hospital settings as well as in private practice. I have mm -hmm. a lot of transgender folks and a lot of BIPOC folks. Cool. So what could a new client expect from an initial session with you? And what about on an ongoing basis? Such a, such a tough question because every, everyone's different and I can't say that enough, but you know, I like to start where the person is. I want them to tell me what they need. And if they don't know what they need, then I guide them to help them figure that out. Um, I'm not an interviewer, you know, I don't want to, I don't know, I, I want them to kind of be where they are and talk about what it is they need to, to talk about. And if they don't know that, then I kind of guide them to do that. But being present and talking about kind of the here and now around what's going on. And also mm -hmm. talking, we talk, we spend a lot of time talking about what our relationship is like and what's it like to talk about these things and what's it like to be confused about what I need and all of those things. So very like here and now present oriented. Um, but yeah, I think, I think after a while, most of my clients kind of, if they weren't, if they weren't like this at the beginning, they kind of catch on to, I come in with what I need. And if I don't know what I need, we talk about how I don't know what I need, that sort of thing, rather than kind of like expecting me to interview them because if I'm interviewing them and if I'm coming up with my own questions for them we're not starting where they are we're starting with my own agenda and that's not that doesn't work for me yeah. okay how would you say your clients describe or experience you <sighs> that's a tough one you know I'd like to ask them it would be fun to know um, send out a survey <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> Exactly. Um, I mean, you know, I strive to be open-minded and non-judgmental and open and insightful and also challenging. I, I'm not afraid to challenge folks um, very kindly. Of yeah. Course. But yeah, hopefully, I, hopefully that's, what, that's how they see me. <laughs> that, and that's what it feels. That's what it feels like I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that challenging is such an important part of the job. Um, I think we've got to be able to challenge our clients on things and, and in a kind way at that. Absolutely. Delicate balance. Uh -huh. Are you a therapist who will laugh or cry with your clients? Yes. I do a lot of laughing. I cry, but I'm not quite sure. I don't do a lot of crying with clients, but when I cry, I feel like I, I often use that to kind of inform my being with them. Mm -hmm. um, it's not something that is necessarily outward, mm -hmm. um, especially hard to see on teletherapy these days. Yeah. 
Um, sometimes yeah. I'll mention that I, you know, I'm feeling really sad about something, but usually it just kind of informs it's, it's usually something bring that's being brought up in me that I can use kind of like to empathize and kind of be with the client. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How do you define holding space for someone? Holding space for someone, um, being with them, feeling what it is that I'm feeling while they're talking about what it is that they're feeling or thinking about, and then using that to be with them in the space. Um, Yeah. What is the best advice you've ever received from a supervisor? Um, to not be attached to results. That was a pretty tough thing that, which is mindfulness, right? Um, yeah, it's a pretty tough thing to learn, like, early on. You know, you go in there and you want to help someone. You want to fix it all for them and with them. And you want them to do the things that are healthy and great for them and Oftentimes, it's just not really how it goes, and that's okay. That's not the point. You're not supposed to fix all the things for them. You're supposed to be with them while they're going through this journey. Right. Um, What have you personally learned about yourself and or the world through your practice? Oh, gosh, it's just so much. Um, I mean, yeah, I think along the lines of kind of what we're talking about, I've learned, I mean, doing therapy is one of the most, might be the most kind of grounding experience that I have because I absolutely have to just be present with and for someone, which means I have to be present with myself. There's really no other option. Um, so yeah, it's kind of taught me you know, you can, I can talk about mindfulness all day and I can try, you know, I can go to a Vipassana for 10 days, which, you know, I've done before. And all of that, it's just kind of like skills being thrown at me, but like really putting it into, I feel like therapy has kind of been the place where I've really truly understood what it meant to be mindful and be present. I can relate to that. Yeah. What do you do to take care of yourself? Sleep. <laughs> it's a good one. Yeah. And, you know, all the hobbies I mentioned earlier, I'm really active and, you know, don't, you know, sometimes have a hard time stopping, but I need a lot of sleep. And if I don't get it, I am not nearly as effective. So that's kind of the top priority. Very important. Mm-hmm. How would you define happiness? Happiness is a wonderful, beautiful, fleeting experience. Um, I think when people talk about wanting to be happy, to me, I, I imagine that that's what I am seeing as contentedness or okayness. Um, Neutrality. Mm-hmm. Because happiness isn't something that's sustainable. 
And I mean that in the least pessimistic way. Um, yeah, and it's not a final destination. Like, we don't just get there and stay there. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And if we did, it wouldn't be happiness. Right. Because we would go back down to that baseline. Happiness is happiness and joy are similar in that way. Joy is, yeah. They're both things, yeah, we strive for, we want to feel them. It's great when we get there, but we also have to be at the okay neutrality, yeah, part for a while in order to experience that those things as such totally agree next couple questions are a little vulnerable what is the most embarrassing moment you have had as a clinician that was very vulnerable there's no way (laughs) just through it exactly or you can next Um, question it but no, it's okay. I think I think that what I'm about to say makes me human, as as though you had a doubt. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I so let's see. A, a while ago, several, quite a few months ago, I had a session with a client, and at the very end, things went well. Things went fine. The very end, he was like thank you for everything. Can I ask you a question? And I said, of course. And he said, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Thanks for asking. What, what made you think that? And he was like, you have been shaking your leg the entire time we've been talking. And this is over teletherapy. Uh-huh. And so I, you know, I wasn't really aware of it. I, it made me, you know, like stop and really check myself. Like, you know, how often am I shaking my leg? I know I shake my leg is kind of a, it's kind of a grounding thing for me, but I also think that day I'd had a lot of coffee and I wasn't, you know, I wasn't as, I was tired. Um, and so that really kind of hit me and, you know, made me feel uncomfortable for a bit. Like, oh my gosh, like, we broke the fourth wall. We're talking to the therapist about it. <laughs> but I don't know, after some reflection and also talking to him about it a bit too, um, kind of, you know, what was that like to experiencing me, experience me shaking my leg and, you know, see me as a human like that. It was really, it was healing. It was, it was healing for both, you know, our space together and also mm-hmm. just helpful for me to remind myself, like, you're human. You're going to be a human. Part of the reason why you can be a good therapist is because you're a human. Um, right. And also helped me check myself, right? Like, I don't want to be someone who's, like, you know, shaking my leg all the time either. But, so yeah, it was, it was educational and informative. But in the moment, I was really embarrassed. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I appreciate that. Um, next vulnerable question. Are you in therapy or have you ever been in therapy? Absolutely to both. Sweet. Yeah. Is there anything else that you think would be good for a potential client or other therapist to know about you or mindfulness? Mm-hmm. I think we've covered it. Yeah, we've covered a lot today. We have. Thank you so much for having me.
Thanks for being on the show, Greer. Thank you for listening to Next Quest Podcast. I learned something new today, and I hope you did too. Next week's episode will feature Christian Feely, Certified Integral Coach and Associate Certified Coach, who will be speaking about his practice and area of specialty, life coaching. Next Quest Podcast is sponsored by Jan Dimmit Resources. Save yourself the time and stress of credentialing and let the experts at Jan Dimmit Resources do what they do best. For over 20 years, Jan Dimmitt Resources has provided administrative support and credentialing services to mental health professionals in Texas and beyond. Visit their website at jandimmitt.com. That is J-A-N-D-I-M-M-I-T-T.com or call 512-731-5725 for more information on all the ways they can make running your practice easier for you. NextQuest Podcasts relies solely on donations to keep this project going. Please consider becoming a patron on my Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash nextquestpodcast, or you can make a one-time donation on my website at www.nextquestcounseling.com slash aboutnextquestpodcast. You can also support the podcast by liking our Facebook page. Until next question, this is Noah Garcia signing off.